Welcome to the Gamers Over 50 podcast. This is episode 67, the adulterated who, what, when video game development podcast. I spent so little time on the title of this podcast. It, it may have been the easiest one to think of because this will not be the end all, be all, and absolute definition of video game development. And I, I especially use the thing I spent the most time on was finding the word adulterated because most people say, oh, this is the unadulterated. Well, this is the adulterated. So if you don't know what that word means, most unadulterated is like the everything. Uh, this is as much as you're going to get because this is a huge subject. Um, and by saying adulterated, this, this you know, brings and invites criticism. Feel free. And if you'd like to have a conversation about it, great. Cool. I guarantee you I'm going to miss something and it may be something special or it may be developed into a role that you uh, have done some point in your career or you know someone who does it and you know what if they're doing it and I didn't talk about it that means they're doing something cool it doesn't mean they're not doing something and criticizing I think it's very interesting when people say you didn't mention me well honestly I was a miss. So take it as that. Okay. So there is my disclaimer for the podcast, you know, and I want to talk about how much I love software development, which is really weird because some people are like, oh, I love trees and I love horses or I love mountains and, and, you know, I love butter. I do love butter. Uh, but I really enjoy software development. And, you know, most people probably don't expect to hear that coming out of somebody's mouth. But it's a hugely complicated topic, and I have a large knowledge base on the subject, and I'm not saying I have the best knowledge base on the subject. I've seen a lot of things. I've seen a lot of things you shouldn't do more than you probably should. I should say it that way. Um, but, you know, it, it's it's a podcast that I really wanted to talk about because we've talked about the languages. We've talked about the engines, and now I want to talk about kind of the who does it and then what they're doing and when. So. This is more an homage to the industry who is making the games we play. And I love every game I've played. I actually played one game on my iPad for like three days. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get sucked into this game. I need to stop myself because it was that good. Um, and I'll probably go back to it. But, you know, there's someone, you know, someone who maybe you haven't heard something or maybe you have someone in your life who's thinking about getting into software development. Yeah, maybe this will be a good one. Um, I hope you enjoy this podcast. Again, that's the second disclaimer. Um, and yes, I did have to research what adulterated me meant. So I learned a new word as well. So video game development is a complex process fueled by passion by teams of folks, or could be just one person or by teams of teams of teams to deliver the games we play. And if you're thinking about a video game, that could be a PC, mobile, right? console, um, headset kind of game. So, you know, the first game I think back that I really fell in love with when I was, when I first had the Apple IIe when I was a kid was Load Runner. And what's really kind of cool about Load Runner is it reminded me of this game called Space Panic. And if you haven't seen Space Panic or Load Runner, wow, go see Load Runner and Space Panic because both of them are really good games. You can actually play both of them online wonderfully. Um, but it, you know, it was the first game we had on our com computer in our house. 
and you're, you get that feeling, right? Like the first time maybe you had a certain kind of food and you're just like, I love this food. It was like that for me. And, you know, the uh, statute of limitations on stealing software in the 70s, well, yeah, 70s, early 80s, is completely out. But somehow we got a sneakerware copy of this. And remember, sneakerware is when someone made you a copy illegally. They should have done that. But, you know, somehow it got in. Um, and I have to protect that because I really want to have birthday and Christmas cookies. They're really good. So if she's listening, I don't want her to be mad at me. Anywho, I played this game so much, it became almost an obsession because it is a wonderful thing. Great game. And I, you know, I was just actually thinking about when I was doing this podcast, who developed this game? Who created this game? And this may be the next kind of obsession you have because you may have a great game that you love and you go see it. So here's some interesting facts about Load Runner. Its first name in the iterate, first iteration's name was Kong, like Donkey Kong. Uh, there are originally three developers who were studying at the University of Washington. Go you, Deb, my uh, wife's alma mater. Um, James, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, James Bratsanos, Douglas E. Smith, Doug Smith, and Tracy Steinbeck. The game was originally written in Fortran and Pascal. Hey, we talked about those two podcasts back. We've heard those. And it was written over a weekend. Dang. Like, think about what you did over a weekend. And somebody wrote a game. Not just a game, but an iconic game over a weekend. Uh, it's crazy. Uh, originally, Broderbund, the game company, rejected the game. But they gave Doug Smith uh, $10,000 advance to improve the game. Now, one of the cool things about Load Runner, and this is a obscure fact, is one of the first games to include level editors. So you could create your own levels. And if you've ever played a game where you get to create like a pinball creation or you create the level that you're going to go fight on or something like that, this is the first one of the first games that did this. Um, you know, build your own game stuff. And what's really kind of cool is Doug took this game and shared it with some kids around the neighborhood and they created a ton of levels that are in the final game. Now, I'm not sure if I didn't wasn't able to really find out if they got credit for it, but I think that is so neat that you know individuals who are just playing the game contributed to the final product of a game. So very cool, cool stuff. Um, so Doug Smith was a development team of one. Now, sadly, Doug passed away in 2014, but his legacy is a game I... And thousands and thousands of people loved. And it was kind of our first game on our PC. Um, you can still play this. So get your pin out. Actually, you can just search it. Load, L-O-D-E, runner. So L-O-D-E, runner, webgame.com slash game. Um, I beat four of the levels like boom in two to three minutes. It was so much fun and it took me back. But if you think about that, video game development being one person's vision or their idea. And then maybe it grows in the teams of a few people or teams of several people, they, dozens of people, and then moves into, you know, hundreds of people and multiple companies developing games, right? So you have that, that very singular person and you have thousands of people getting involved. It is, you know, we could talk about those larger companies and all the different things about them um, as a topic for somebody else, because there are probably 
game development only podcast out there. So I'm going to let those folks do it. I may actually search for one or two. Um, but I wanted to talk about, you know, so the roles that get involved in game development, not all the roles, but in game development. And I'm going to include groups in some of these roles because it's really important to know that people who develop games aren't just programmers. So first, I want to give you a, a set of folks that are in there, a set of departments or groups or divisions you may have that don't always get a shout out for creating games. And if you really love games and want to get into that and you're in one of these groups or you're not a programmer, this may be an opportunity to join a game company. So, you know, think about human resources, uh, IT, sales, marketing, facilities, security, finance, legal and comp compliance. Right, that's easier for me to say. And I actually do compliance. That's horrible. But, you know, the, all these roles are part of game development for some companies. Now, some, some of this, if you're a single one person doing it, or some friends getting together, or maybe working in a college class, or even like the Global Game Jam, um, some of those roles get involved in the Global Game Jam to help those folks out as they're moving forward. But sometimes they're not in there. But if you're looking at a game company like Bungie, or 343 Studios, or Steam, um, or Electronic Arts, or Blizzard, which are kind of the same thing. And three of those companies that belong to a larger company there. But if you've ever wondered if you could be in a game industry position, there you go. Don't limit yourself. Um, there are lots and lots and lots of opportunities at these game companies. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to be developing software, but you may be the person doing legal compliance or localization. And localization is verifying that you're not breaking any customs or any rules or do anything to cause damage to the company's image. Super cool stuff. I could get into localization for days. Love it. Another topic. All right. So let's jump into software development and the software development side of games, because I want to give a lot of the roles because you may not have heard of these folks or types as well. Um, again, very high level. And again, this is from Wikipedia and some places I've pulled a lot of information from them. So please, please, please donate. All right. So the game producer. And what's interesting is Trip Hawkins, who founded Electronic Arts, said in 1983, oh, and he uh, founded Electronic Arts in 1982, which is crazy because you think how many EA games you play. Wow. Um, but producers basically manage the relationship with the artists. They find the talent, work out product deals, get contract signs, manage them, and bring them to conclusion. The producers do most of the things that a product manager does. So people who do product management, there you go. They don't do the marketing, which in some cases product managers do. They don't make decisions about packaging and mer merchandising, but they do get involved. They're kind of like a book editor, a little bit like a film producer, and a lot like a product manager. So that's what Trip said. Uh, there are different kinds of producers because you could have an internal producer and they may be helping things from the internal side of the business. So producing for what skills, what they need to develop internally, the tools that may be needed. So they may be creating the environment to develop the game and managing that and also making sure that those groups work. They have the external, which is overseeing several projects that are being worked on by developers. So if you think of this from a producer standpoint, if you've ever thought about the film industry, 
you know, the producer is, is like, Hey, the director says, I want to make this crazy, awesome view. And it's going to cost this amount of money. And the producer says, okay, let's see if we have this amount of money. And then they start going, all right, well, let's get some people together and start talking about the view. And, you know, do we need to go to another country? Do we need to go to a different place? So producers do that. And then you have what we call line producers. So it's internal or external can get involved in that, that all that stuff. Some can line as well. But they're really working on scheduling and costing. So again, I just made an example of where the producer goes and find things. They could all be focused in that. All right. The publisher is a company or it could be a person that works by themselves. Uh, but it could be a pu who publishes a video game. And it could be developed by the publisher that's doing it. Or it could be developed by a independent gamer who is selling their game or maybe putting their game out on a publisher. So if you think of someone like steam um, could be counting as a publisher a little bit, because say I'm an independent video game developer and I want to publish my game out there and I want to get it distributed, distributed. Yeah. Easy enough for me to say you have that. All right. So those are like, you know, areas that you might not even think about because you're thinking, Oh, we just write people just write games. So you have that. So then you have the development team and there are several pieces in the development team. There's the designer, there's the artist, there's the writer, there are programmers, there are level designers, there are sound engineers and there are testers. And you know, the name's pretty easy. Like a designer is someone who comes up with the gameplay and the rules and structure of a game. And you know, the designer may have some writing skills and be developing a narrative that goes in with it. And you may have in really large projects, so I'm going to pick on Halo for a second. You may have designers for the mechanics of it, or you may have a designer for just the simple graphics or even the dialogue. Artists, and most people are like, oh yeah, artists, the people who do that. No, artists is not just a visual creation where you're seeing a character move, but the artist could be everything you're seeing behind the 3D the view from the side, the 2D coming in as well. Um, we talked a little bit about sprites in the last uh, podcast, very small amount, but terrain images, the user interface, right? We're not just talking about, you know, I'm looking at a character and they're running. It could be the heads up display. All of that gets involved. And remember the, the artist is, it could be a painter. It could be someone who's a graphics designer. It could go into several roles that go into this. It could be someone who draws effectively and then is able to animate that. Okay. So writers and a writer sounds pretty easy, but if you think about it, video game writing is a craft and I get writing in every form as a craft. If you're writing for the newspaper, it's a craft. If you're writing an article, it's a craft, but writing in a video game is you're developing a narrative and you're developing a story that someone is going to play out and there are going to be multiple endings in some games, or there may be multiple paths. Um, it is very, very, very interesting. And, you know, sometimes the famous writers are freelancers or they start out as freelancers and then they get brought in or they stay a freelancer because they make enough money. Um, Gama Sutra had a great article about game writers. And the only criticism I had about this, well, there are only two ladies on there. Mind you, the two of them who were on there did amazing things. I mean, so the, like I have really good, the guys were like, yeah, what are the games? They both had like four games. It was amazing. But 
you know, what I would, I love to see and talk to people who develop. So if you get to go to games conventions and you're walking past a booth, you know, you may say, Hey, who wrote your narrative? And they'll say, Oh, this person over here. And you can say, you know, what was your inspiration? You can, you know, develop that. And the last little piece of writers is they're also writing scripting information. So they may be writing for characters, not and non-playable characters, NPCs, and they may be playing, writing for your main character that's going out. All right. Can't be as detailed on programmers, although there are so many things that programmers do. But programmers may develop things for uh, network communications, input, the UI, what you're seeing on your screen, any kind of scripting that, say, if a character um, switches weapons, this is what happens. Or if a character looks into their bag, this is what happens. You may have gameplay, which are some of the game rules, like uh, if you fall off this cliff, you lose all your health, or you can only go to this end of the map, end of the map, right? Uh, how sound is used, how sound is, is used at certain times. So maybe when you pull back your bow and you release that sound is all built in with the programming, the graphic side, the AI side. And again, we talked about in the last podcast of the game engines, the physics that are built into it really. It, and it also may be plugging into that game engine, right? Because you may have a game engine, but you're still going to be doing everything we just talked about and all the things we're talking about right now under the programmer is going to be doing. All right. Level designer. We talked a little bit about the, you know, level editors and doing that. But if you think about the level designer, they're having to develop the challenges that you may have, or you may have a quest or you may have a mission or you may have multiple. And they're also thinking, do I need to do this in a 2D where it's just left and right, up and down, or 3D, left, right, up and down, forward, backwards. So, you know, thinking of it from a level designer. The sound engineer. Now, I have to say, if I had to pick someone out, it's really hard because the writers, the artists, and the sound engineers are right up there with me. They're the ones I'm most interested about. I love seeing how sound is developed for games and movies and television. But the sound engineers are creating those effects, when the effect should happen, how it should happen. If when you have the effect, if your controller shakes, that haptic move, um, they may also work directly with the voice actors. And if you've watched enough games, you've probably seen uh, or heard Peter Dinklage multiple times. I know I have. That's for all the, the folks out there who played Destiny. Uh, you know, you, you see that. But you then also have the composers and maybe somebody's developing music and you have different musics in a game where you maybe have these beautiful orchestral moments, but then you go into a bar and it's like punk rock music. So sound engineers. Very cool. I, I, I could spend time, like I said, with the writers, the artists, and the sound engineers. It's just fun to watch and see. And then you have the testers. These are the folks who do what, the, what we call QA, quality assurance. They go through, they make sure they're, that when you play the game, it's playing smoothly. You can't jump in or, you know, jump through a wall unless you're supposed to be able to jump through the wall. Um, they bring up and they, as they're doing this testing, they create what we would call a bug report sometimes. Or maybe they say, oh, you know, I've noticed that there's this kind of, it seems like there's a, you walk down the stairs and you're like, you know, kind of just like falling down the stairs. You need to make it more like you're walking. Um, this is one of those areas that a lot of people either totally forget or they totally get. And when they totally get it and you get that game and it's like, oh, you know, 
something hasn't happened or something is happening. Or I, I just, you know, I loaded the game and I didn't have a single problem. I got to like the 20th level. Oh, and then I noticed it got a little, maybe a little choppy in this area, but that's because you're playing it for three days and you need to restart, start your console, or your PC. Okay. So knowing all these roles, these are roles that people do. These are roles that people are doing right now. They're right now. People are working on it. You're listening. They're doing um, all over the world, everywhere. Easily some of the most interesting stuff you'll ever see. If you, if you're not sure what those roles are, go take a look. If you're looking or you know, you have uh, kids or friends that are looking at career stuff, talk to them and say, Hey, the video game industry if someone has created a game, say, hey, there are places you can work with as an indie game person. Totally check them out. But, you know, that I wanted to go also, if we're talking about the roles, I want to talk a little bit about the process. Because in the process, the development process, you have kind of this, unless you're like Doug Smith and you created over a weekend, you do have these pre-productions, these productions, um, and each one, I'll get a little, just tiny bit into it. And then you have different kind of milestones where you're doing things. And then you get a post-production. So, and I promise we're finishing under 30 minutes this time. Uh, so I hate to say I'm talking that fast. So I'm just going to take a quick drink. Mm -hmm. All right. So pre-production is kind of that you develop that initial idea, right? An initial idea could come from a book. It could come from a story. It could come from a movie, a TV. It could come from... Maybe you've hired people to put ideas together. After that, it goes through the normal, kind of the same thing you would do in, say, a movie or a television show of a pitch, and they develop a concept. And then they get into what they call a design document. Now, design document is, is kind of agnostic across all software development. You know, a design document is the concept and the elements in detail. So if you have a program that's going to be a racing game, and you're going to develop that and here you're going to race and you're going to race. Um, we need to go grab a franchise. So let's grab, I don't know, I'm going to choose pod racers from Star, Star Wars. So, okay, we're going to use the pod racers from Star Wars. Okay, so we go talk to LucasArts or whoever owns it, well, Disney now. So we call Mickey and say, hey, Mickey. And Mickey goes, hi. That's my best Mickey I can do. I'm sorry. But that's that design document. Mickey is going to want to know what's happening in that design document. Now, you will see these in different places and you'll also see it in places um like in kickstarter somebody will say hey i'm going to design this game and i'm needing need funds so i can help design it and they may say oh i'm going to create a prototype and you can see it and you know you go through that point but that's kind of the the development process from a pre-production right those are all the things now in production you start designing it and this could be everything so all those steps above outside of even testing, but testing even gets involved real early with design because you have to develop your testing uh, process and things like that. But all those steps we talked about before, the sound engineer, the artists, the writers are all getting involved in that, that design and programming is getting involved too at that time. Now the programming will occur kind of after we have that first initial design and depending on what software development methodology we're working on, which I am not going into because that is like their hundreds of podcasts on that stuff. Trust me, I've listened to like 10 of them and they're good if you're a practitioner and you love it, but you're not getting it. So 
you know, kind of that design phase is really important because everybody's getting involved and you're kind of prepping to go. You maybe have already started going, but you're getting that prep to just full on start programming. And that programming is when your programmers are doing things, when they're introducing pieces with, with art, when they're working with the sound engineers, when they're working with folks who may be working in IT and legal to make sure they can use certain trademarks, et cetera. I mean, it really goes into that point. And these are the conversations I've gotten into outside of the artist. Well, actually we did. No, we did have artists, Never mind, UX designers um, that were involved. From there, you may get more into level creation, or you may say, okay, we're going to create the first step in the game, which is you play this game and you get a horse or you get a vehicle. And that's up to that point is what we're developing. And then that's a step one. Now that can be called a milestone, a scrum, I'm sorry, not a scrum, a milestone, the end of the sprint, which is full of scrums. I was going to go full software development on you guys. Sorry. Um, <laughs> wow. That was a dangerous, I could have gone down that road. But in that that level creation, you, that may be a part. That may be to say, hey, we're going to develop at, until this point. Yay. Um, and you have those. And then, obviously, while you're doing this, art, audio are all involved in each one of these. And then, of course, testing, again, involved. Now, there are some definitive milestones. And now, these aren't milestones like in project management milestones for all my PMI friends out there who are doing waterfall with their PMPs, not their agile PMPs or regular PMPs. If I've lost you, I'm sorry. Again, jumping into that world. But there are milestones and these are kind of um, du jour so that you have de facto, which is the these are facts like a inches or an inch. Oh, sorry. A foot has 12 inches in it or a, you know, a meter has 100 centimeters in it. Those are facts. These are kind of have come out. So you have first playable. Functional elements are working. Maybe not looking perfect. Maybe has 3D rendering to occur. You have the alpha stage um, when you can implement some other functionality. Again, we haven't gotten to that area. Uh, there are people who talk about code freeze. And I'm just naming these randomly, so I apologize um, if they go all over the area. But code freeze is we're no longer adding new code. Okay, just let you know. I've been involved in so many environments that said we're in code freeze when they're really never ever in code freeze. Somebody can always add something in and a customer may ask for something or, you know, something may say this just the story isn't being all put together. So don't trust code freeze if unless you need to trust code freeze. You have the beta, which is, you know, really the features and the game looks like it's play playable game code release. This is when. You know, many of those bugs, uh, you'll, you'll get fixed. So say those testers are going through and they write those bug reports and they're like, hey, in this, uh, we noticed that these guys are green. And then we know the next stage and they're blue. They need to be green everywhere. Or are these two different, you know, groups of people? And we need to identify that. Like those things can come out. Um, so you have those ideas. And then you have gold master. Okay, just first again, just like code phrase, I've seen this gold master thing. Now you will hit a gold master. I have heard, you know, and I hate the word master, but I also like to say the, uh, the gold version of it. Okay. So what is that? Is there a platinum version then? So first we already have the co co cultural appropriation with master. And then we have like gold. Why don't we just say the game to be delivered? 
game to be delivered. GTBD. I think that's better than gold. Sorry. Um, and then you also have your release schedules that go around as well as your post-production. So really, after you develop a game, unless it's just a standalone and you're not going to have any updates, there's not going to be any maintenance. And maintenance is like the largest topic out there to talk about. It's going to be out there. But updates are going to occur. You're going to have events. I'm actually watching a iPad with a game on it because I'm in the middle of an event. And, oh, did the event just reset? So it's about to reset. And let's see here. Oh, in zero seconds. So hooray for me. Um, it'll reset in a second. But I'm in the middle of an event while I'm doing this podcast. I was just kind of sitting there letting it happen. But you'll have those and they'll get involved. Okay. So that is software development from a, the highest, 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 highest level with all the pieces built into it. I think it's one of the most interesting functions of technology. It is the only place outside of developing a case of a product or the product packaging where artists get involved heavily and the sound engineers, and the programmers are just all amazing artists, in my opinion. Um, again, I can remember the first game I climbed a wall instead of moving horizontally, I could go vertical. The wall looked like a wall. The character made noises of exertion. The climbing motions are very similar to real climb. There are entire podcasts talking about programming, software development. I just already said all that stuff. Uh, but, you know, this is one of those communities that can share open source. So there are games like Load Runner that you can go play. You can go back and play games that you love and you have architecture. But gaming like arts and culinary and, you know, the design of music are amazing. And, you know, there's lots of business functions that are touching them. But in this podcast, if you learn something new, yay. That was the high level of software development and the roles and the process and the people and the things that happen. I promise the next podcast has a game in it. I guarantee you it. I've been playing a game and I'm loving it and I hope to tell you more about it.